Welcome back to Time for Heroes podcast. This week's guest is the fantastic Graham Mackay. Graham Mackay is a contributor and sometime host of the Cynic Celtic Fans podcast. Along with us, Graham also has another podcast with another two members of the Cynic, and it's called The Digressive Left. We spoke about Graham's early life growing up and how he got into podcasting how the podcast works and why you came to stay in Berlin. We spoke about all that plus much more. Check out Graham's work on the Cynic. I'll post links to both the Cynic and Digressive Left. I hope you all enjoy the podcast and I'll be back very soon with another episode. Thanks very much, guys. Right, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Graham Mackay from the Cynic podcast and you've also got another podcast, The Digressive Left. Mm-hmm. Um, just tell us firstly about your early life, where you grew up, and um, what what life was like as a kid to uh, mm-hmm. get into Celtic and stuff like that. Well, so I was, I was born in Barhead. <laughs> uh, well, technically, I was born in Paisley at the hospital, but lived in Barhead from uh, childhood onwards. I and it was just you know like I grew up and I was born in eighty two, so. I don't know, Scotland in the 80s, it just seems like a kind of foreign country now, but uh, Thatcher's Britain, obviously, I was born into that, so that was uh, uh, something to kind of look forward to. And I, I just remember, like, lots of kind of, when it comes to music and stuff like that, I think my earliest memories when it comes to music was just, my mum got this cassette tape of somebody in her work, it was a mixtape that someone had made, and uh, it was a Motown music and we always used to go to the Highlands when I was when I was a kid. It was like a six or seven hour drive. And we just used to play this Motown tape on repeat. And I think that was my kind of introduction to good music because weirdly, my mum and dad have really terrible taste in music. Like my, my dad was into things like Neil Sedaka and stuff like that. Um, Perry Como, I think, was another one that he was into. Uh-huh. But this one tape just seemed to be a kind of the thing that opened me up as a kid to, to, to good music. So it was it was stuff like The Temptations, it was like Stevie Wonder, The Ailey Brothers, um, obviously Diana Ross and the Supreme Smokey Robinson, that kind of thing, Otis Redden. So that was really the thing that kind of opened me up as a, as a kid to thinking about music that wasn't just the stuff that you were getting in Smash Hits magazine, because that, that was a magazine I got every week as a kid. So that was you, you looked at that stuff and then you heard this other stuff. It just sounded nothing like it. And that was the kind of direction I, I decided to go into when I was getting interested in music. So I, for me, it just feels like growing up a Celtic fan as well. Like the 80s as a kid just felt as if it was like constantly warm summers. And it definitely wasn't, you know what I mean? Like it definitely, definitely wasn't. But I think I, I always remember like the, was it the Garden Show that was on in Glasgow? In the, I was, I was going to mention that to you. That, that was I, one of the best things growing up in the 80s, a Garden Festival, I. It was just, I don't know why I remember it, but it was, because it felt as if it was a hot summer and this garden festival was going on and I think did the Royals not come up for it or something like that? Mm-hmm. And it was just, I, when I, if, I, if someone asked me, think of a memory from your, your your childhood summers, it's just the fucking garden fest, even though I've got no interest in flowers or anything like that, but it was just something that, it felt as if that was maybe the first time I could start to remember things, you know what I mean? Like that was the first kind of memory that I had. Uh, so growing up in Scotland with a garden festival and the Skull Cup, for some reason, I can always remember the Skull Cup, you know, that used to sponsor the League Cup. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of early early summers. But no, I, I'd, it was it was very much a kind of working class uh, upbringing. Like my, my dad was a, a plant operator, which is like a, a digger driver. Right. So like JCBs and stuff like that. So that was his kind of uh, job my whole my whole life basically. My mum was uh, most of the time when I was growing up, she, she she worked in like co-op and then she worked as a cleaner in, in the, the local library. So I it was very much a kind of childhood where you would you would just be out playing with your mates, going over the cow park, playing football until you basically couldn't stand anymore. Yeah. Uh, thinking that you're going to just be thirsty for your lip for the rest of your life because you needed to drink tap water, and then when you come in, your mum told you to drink a cup of tea because it would cool you down. And uh, it's it feels honestly, my my childhood was just like if you can imagine a textbook Scottish working class childhood. I think that was it. It was it was going away to like saw coats on a Saturday for the day, or going to Irvine or Largs or something like that for the day. Going to staying in Scotland for holidays. I never went abroad until I was nineteen when I went to Mallorca for the first time. Right. I so I that's I mean that, that was that was essentially that. It was it was good. It was you you looked around and you, you as a kid you you sometimes get jealous and envious of people having more than you. But looking back on it, we had everything that we needed. You know what I mean? Like my parents, my dad had this rule that if he get asked to work overtime, he would never say no. So he would be working like six in the morning till five o'clock at night and doing, doing, uh, digging the ground. And if he got asked on a Friday, can you work Saturday, Sunday? He would work Saturday, Sunday and then do the week again. So he would just, he would go weeks and ends without having a day off. So a lot of the time that would end up with me and my mum and David, my brother going into Paisley, just going to Paisley on a Saturday shopping, going to Paisley Centre and stuff like that. So I... My dad wanted to work those kind of hours so that when it came to doing things like Christmas, he could ensure that we had presents. And when it came to our two weeks in July up north, we could do it and we had the money to do it. So yeah, I, I, the thing is, I've always thought to myself, I don't have a work ethic at all, man. I'm, I'm terrible when it comes to, I hate going to work. I, I'm, not, I'm not so bad now, but when I worked in Tesco, I hated going to Tesco. Like I would just think about it for hours and end, thinking, oh, I can't be fucked. But my dad, my mum and my dad had such a work ethic. I'm just, I'm annoyed that I didn't get any of it <laughs> because I just hate, hate going to work so much. So, I And when it comes to Celtic, I, I think you blame the schools, obviously. I mean, I went to St John's Catholic School and then I went to St Lick's Catholic School and everyone was a Celtic fan. You know, like it was just, the, the funny thing is my dad wasn't so much a Celtic fan and his family were not Celtic fans at all. My dad just liked football. He didn't have a team, really. He liked Celtic because they played good football, but he wasn't like a, a died-in-the-world Celtic fan or anything like that. So it was mostly school and just the influence of your mates. Everyone was a Celtic fan, so we you get into it as well. And uh, I think I must have been... So it was 96, so I would have been 14 when I got my first season ticket. Uh, and that was the t- Tommy Burns last, last season. And that was basically hooked. basically me hooked from then. Just a love affair. And sometimes I think to myself, it'd be so much easier not being a football fan because of the amount of times it ruins your weekend and you just get stressed out about things and you think. And we're, as we were talking about before we started recording, we're already thinking about this cup, final, uh, cup semi-final um, next Sunday. Uh, so it just it takes up far too much of your your thinking time. This is it. The thing, I get to the end of the season and I, I quite like the like six weeks after or whatever, it's it's nice to just kind of 
shut down and no think about it. But Danny, because all, all you're doing is you're thinking about transfers and things. Like <laughs> but it's, it's silly things as well. You, like, I wonder if the players are having a, a relaxing time off. I hope they're fit and ready for coming back. And, you know, the, the thing is, you do get like that. The season ends and then you start building up again. I remember when we just signed uh, Brendan Rodgers and we we're playing like pre-season friendlies in Austria. And uh, my flat, the internet had just gone down completely, and I was like, I was I was absolutely spewing because I was like, I want to see us playing this Austrian third division team. And it was a game that Anton Rogers played in. It was that friendly that Anton Rogers played in. And I was like, I need to see this, so I started like telling Celtic TV through my phone, using that as like a hotspot to try and watch this friendly. And I'm like, what am I doing, man? This is absolutely nuts. <laughs> so I really it gets you. What's that? Yeah, you, you need to give yourself a break for it. It's, it. It really is horrible. So, like, obviously growing up, what, what was your plans? What were you, what, what were you aspiring to? I don't I, I don't, I was going to sound bad, but I think for a lot of it, I didn't really have any plans. It was, uh, it was I don't think I was even considering being older at, at certain points. It was just a case. I just lived for going over the park, playing football with my mates. You know what I mean? That was everything. It was uh, looking at the clock in uh, high school, waiting to get to the break so I could go out and play football with my mates. You know, it was, I'd, I was good at, like I was good at maths and stuff like that. And I was good at certain subjects, uh, terrible at French. Uh, but I was just not that, like I wasn't interested, as I said, I, I have terrible work ethic. I wasn't interested in getting a job. So like the, the kind of idea of aspiring to be anything was just not something that was on my mind. When I started to get uh, more and more interested in football and reading about football and stuff like that, like I used to deliver the, the Sunday papers. That was my, my first job for years and years. I had a big Sunday paper round. So big, I had actually two bags, you know, the big orange paper bags. I had one over each shoulder. It was yeah. murder, I think, about 120 papers or something. And uh, so it was just reading the, the, the newspapers, reading the sports section. And I was getting more and more interested in thinking to, my, to myself, that's something that people get to do. Why can't I do that when I'm older? So I really decided I'm going to try and be a sports journalist. I think that would be something that would be... I wanted to be the next Keith Jackson. Um, so if that was something to aspire to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but that's I, funny no. as well because, I mean, with me growing up, I ended up, I went to college and done media studies. I wanted to be a football commentator. So uh, kind of similar. But... It's, it's odd how kind of I done media studies and it's twenty years later that I'm doing this podcast and actually Aye. any of the skills that I, I, sh- I should have put to better use. And that's where did you go to? Um, Motherwell College. So Motherwell College. I was there two years and then I, I dropped out and just started working instead. Aye, it's, it's funny. I was at, I, I did the uh, uh, journalism at Bell College in Hamilton. Aye. So it wouldn't have been too far away from you. Uh, but I know it was that and music. I mean, music was just so, so big to me when I was growing up. It was, I had a band. It was, it was something that I really wanted to pursue. I've got no musical talent whatsoever. Like there's a, there's a joke in, uh, in some film that someone has been moaning the fact that they, they can't play an instrument. They've got so many CDs. And that's the kind of feeling that I always had. I've got so many CDs and records, but I'm terrible at actually playing music, and it's unfair. You know what I mean? Like it's. Uh, but I was a I was a bass guitar player, 
Right. So the kind of like the job that you get in the band when you can't really do much else. So that that was me playing playing bass guitar, um, and we, I mean we we never really got any uh, very far. We played a couple of gigs in uh, bars uh, bars and what's a bar called? It's under the it's under a bridge in Toon. I think it's a bridge where the arches is. There's a pub right next to it. Uh huh. Kind of between the arches and the Crystal Palace, I think there's a there was a bar under the. I can't. I don't. I don't even know if it's still there anymore. But uh, that's yeah. That's where we played our second gig. We played the first gig at the Fernies in Barhead downstairs. That was that was about there was about twenty people there, including my mum and dad had come out to see me playing my first gig, which was quite quite embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, what sort of music was that? Well, I mean, it was mostly mostly covers. Uh, the guy, the kind of the lead singer, was big into you know the band Live. No, they're kind of like a they're a rock, but American rock band, but they've got kind of like Christian undertones. It's a bit weird, it's like songs about like stillbirth and stuff like that, and uh, abortion things. It was it was he was heavily heavily into that, so he was writing songs. I can't remember all of the song, but he wrote a song about. A, a, Kid dying and is with Jesus now, and I was like, oh, okay, this band's not going to go in the same direction I wanted to go in. But the kind of the, the kind of like covers we were doing at the time was like, um, I remember the first the opening track at the Fernies we played Hashpipe by Weezer. Uh-huh. Uh, we played Everlong that night as well by the Foo Fighters. Right uh, into into my arms by Lemonhead. So it was that kind of like pop punk yeah. almost. Uh-huh. Uh, which isn't completely my kind of uh, bag, but I think if you're starting as a band, it's, it's quite a decent place to go, especially if you want kind of short, sharp songs and you don't have much talent as well. So it's a, it's a bit easier to play those types of songs. Uh, but I, I mean, I think I always just had, just had aspirations to be be a musician in the band, not necessarily be the frontman or anything like that, but just be involved in that kind of, that kind of area because it's just something when it when people ask me what kind of music do you like I, I don't often tell the truth but the, the truthful answer is I like good music and if yeah. you say that you'll just people think you're an arrogant bastard but it's true <laughs> like I, I, I like I like good hip-hop I like good classical music I like good uh, country music and good uh, folk music and uh, etc I, I don't think I've got like a genre genre that I'm that I stick to yeah. um but I mean, what about you? Like, I've been listening to your podcast, and you're heavily focusing on the music. Is it how far did you get down? Did you try and go down that road at all yourself? I want. I wanted to be in a band, but I've got no musical experience at all. So I think at at one point we had a fictional band where we just <laughs> went about telling everybody we were a band, um, and I was the lead singer because done karaoke and things like that. So. Um, that 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 was my kind of as far as I went. It what would you, what were you, what's your karaoke songs? Oh, anyway, Siswan or stuff like that. Back then, it was kind of William Gallagher was dead easy to impersonate. When you just done the Aye. dance and kind of sang with that daft voice, that shiny the microphone too high. Uh, but um, my kind of my music, my music um, that I like is. I do like most stuff, other than probably what I wouldn't like is heavy metal. Mm. Um, stuff like that, anything about his screaming's a bit much, but other than that, rock, indie, country, 
blah, 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 whatever. Um, I'm listening to a playlist, and now Miles Kane, he's got a playlist on Spotify, and it can go for like Frank Sinatra to Kano to Diana Ross. So that's like one of my favourite playlists you now. So oh, aye, eclectic. Eclectic mix. Mm. Uh, obviously, like the podcast, a lot of the guests are kind of for the noughties kind of mm. scene then, like Libertines. Libertines was a big band of mine before that, Embrace, and then after Libertines, probably The View, stuff like that. They're, they're like the bands that I would go and see all the time. So, so what? So, See, that's funny because I would say my uh, my concert, m- most of my concert going would have been the nineties. Wait, how old are you? I, I'm two, I'll be two years older than you. Are you born in eighty two? Did you say? Aye, so aye. I, I was born in nineteen eighty. Um, right. So I probably I probably started going to concerts the uh, late nineties, like maybe ninety eight onwards. Aye. I think it, when I think of my, my early gigs, it was stuff like the Levelers at the Barrowlands. It was, it was. Um, I remember it was back to back. It was a, I think it was a Saturday Sunday night at the Barrowlands. It was the first night. It was Super Furry Animals, and right. the next night it was Gomez, right. and I went to both of them. So that was the kind of that was the kind of stuff I was into at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, 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 mean, I, I, mean, I, I like stuff like that as well. Ocean Colour, seen that. Embrace, like back then, Embrace was my big band, and I can mind I went to see them in the Barrowlands two weeks in a row. They played two Sundays in a row for whatever reason, because nice. I, I had the bassist on, and I asked him, I said, Why? Why would you play like, why would you not do two nights together? Why was it a Sunday and then the next Sunday? Um, but he wasn't able to tell me. But I can mind back then going to the Barrowlands, and you always went into Bear's Bar. Before mm. it. Um, and I always used to take my pal in. He was he was a Celtic persuasion. Um <laughs> to take him in there just to noise him up. So Barrowlands was just such a brilliant venue to go to, wasn't it? It, was, yeah. it still is, but I've not been in a long time. Uh, I remember there was a, this would have been the early 2000s. Uh, all of a sudden it came out that Bob Dylan was playing the Barrowlands. Mm. And up until then, a Bob Dylan gig, it was like Wembley Arena, SECC, you know, it was, you, you wouldn't get them in an intimate venue. So it came out, they was playing it, but obviously it was instantly sold out. And uh, me and my mate, me and my mate would been to, we'd been to Bournemouth to see him, we'd been to Brixton Academy to see him, uh, Wembley, we basically travelled, every time there was a tour, we went to one of his, one of his gigs, and neither of us could get a ticket. And then the, the, the morning of the, the, the gig, I was, I was having to go to uni anyway, so I was at Strathclyde, I was, there was a Heelman's umbrella and the, the ticket master. So I just wondered then, I was like, I don't suppose there's any like, tickets been come back for Bob Dylan. And she was like, aye, I've got one. And I was like, oh. so I text my mate, I was like, sorry, mate, but I kind of turned this down. I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to go myself to this concert. And uh, I phoned him afterwards and uh, he actually said, I can hear in your voice, it was amazing. So fuck off. And he just hung up on me. So, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, that was, uh, that. it's just such a, it's a magical venue because you just feel as if you're on top of the band, I think. When I went to see uh, Gomez, I was actually in the front row. And if anyone was at this Gomez concert, they'll know from this story. Um, the guy was, he, he said to me, can you give me like, like a lift up? So I put my hands down to like give him, give him a lift up. I, I wasn't even thinking what was going to happen. I was just like, when someone asks you if you can give them a lift up, you do it. So I put my hands down to, and he put his foot in my hands and then just sprung 
over the fucking security and took out the keyboard player. So like the keyboard <laughs> went smashing down in the middle of a song. And I was just like this. I was like, man, I caused that. I helped him. I was an I was like an accessory to this. Uh, but I that was uh, the Berlin's for me growing up was just somewhere that it was just so special. The first time I got drunk, 16 years old, at that that uh, Super Furry Animals concert. Right. Me and my mate got a bottle of vodka and just poured it into like a we got a bottle of Diet Coke each and just poured, poured it in. So it was like that. And we were just standing in the actual bit where the market is, the Berlin's market. And just drinking it before we went in. This was the first time I'd ever had alcohol and it was vodka straight away. And uh, I was steaming for that concert, man. I can barely remember it. I was like hanging off of people. Yeah. I went back to the went back to the house and my mum was like, have you been drinking? And I was like, no, no. And just slapped on the side of the face and went to bed. The next morning she opens out the door and it's just stinking of fucking booze. She was like, what were, you, did you, what were you drinking? I was like, I just had a beer. It was just a beer. Whereas it was half a bottle of vodka. <laughs> Uh, I de- definitely the Barrowlands was always kind of the wildest gigs. Uh, there was a phase, maybe about three or four years, where I never seen the end of a gig. I get chucked out for whatever stage diving, smoking, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> there was plenty of times I was chucked out, but I've got to that stage now where I go to a lot of gigs myself now just because um, I enjoy them more and I don't drink as much. And just kind of go and see the gig and remember mm. it the next day. Because there were countless gigs I went to over the years that couldn't tell you nothing about it. No, I know. I'm actually supposed to be tomorrow night. I'm supposed to be in Munich for Bell and Sebastian, but right. it's been postponed. So it was supposed to be tomorrow night and it's been postponed till January next year. I'm assuming it's a COVID thing or something. I don't know. but I don't know. Yeah. They were meant to play Motherwell. I don't know if it was this one for a couple of months time but they cancelled that as well or did they maybe it's just a personal uh, thing with the band or something I don't know because uh, yeah. uh, i just seen that because she the message was trying to get me tickets for it just before mm-hmm. Christmas and then then it was just last one first thing that they cancelled it aye aye that's a shame because uh, there's, there's a, a few a few acts that have they've been on my bucket list to see and balance it but Bill and Sebastian, Tom Waits and Morrissey, even though Morrissey's a bit of a, a dickhead now, but the three of them, I've, I've always wanted to see them live and I've never had the chance, so uh, I was a bit gutted at this moment. I've seen Morrissey at the Barrowlands, Christ, it must have been about 10 years ago now, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, I meant to see Bill and Sebastian at the Barrowlands probably about 10 years ago as well, and I sold my ticket, so I've never seen them either. Oh, shame. So, if only I'd knew, knew you then, I'd sell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. The one regret I had about selling a ticket was, remember when Radiohead played, played Glasgow Green? Uh-huh. I had a ticket for that and I couldn't go and I had to sell it. That was I was gutted because everyone was coming back talking about how it was one of the best gigs ever and, and stuff like that. So yeah. uh, Radiohead, that would, I've still, actually that's another one to add to the list. I've still never seen Radiohead, so that I would they, like to... They're on my bucket list as well. I think uh, maybe um, similar lives. <laughs> just going to all these gigs. I think there's just some special venues. Like Glasgow Green's all right, but I'm just not a fan of the kind of open air. Like... I went, I went to, it was uh, it was a kind of, it was like a mini festival. It was headlined by Red, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Foo Fighters, Queens of Stone Age, PG Harvey and Electric Six were all supporting. And 
it's brilliant to hear the music, but I just feel as if when you're in a kind of open air like that, it's just it's gonna the music going into the air, you know what I mean? You can't hear it as well. Yeah. Uh, but obviously it's a great kind of occasion when everyone's there and stuff like that. But I, I think that's probably why I've never been to a music festival because I just feel as if I'm one of these guys I've got the record player on the big speakers and I like the fucking perfect sound and stuff like that. I buy these flax instead of MP3s and I like to have the, the crisp, crisp audio. So I think that's why I've never been to a festival. So um, you mentioned you mentioned that you were meant to go to Munich or something, didn't you? How, did you? how did you end up in Germany? <sighs> followed a followed a woman. <laughs> the, the, the oldest story. No, I was I was uh, kind of I was about to start a PhD. So I'd, I'd finished my I, I went so after Bell College. I'd went I'd gone to Strathclyde to do English, so the English literature. I'd become interested in that. I don't know if you heard my Start the Living pod, but I'd done, I'd get massively into Bob Dylan and started to read poetry and kind of went down that line. So I decided to do English literature. And then after that, I did a master's. So my plan was to do a PhD and then just try and become like a uni lecturer in English literature. And I wanted to do a PhD in Bob Dylan. So about how Bob Dylan uses uh, use Scottish ballads in, in his songwriting. And I thought to myself, I can have a year out here and then come back and do it. The girl that I was seeing was Australian. She could only get two years in Scotland or in the UK before she had to move on because of visas. So she'd been here for two years and it kind of coincided with me finishing my master's. So I thought to myself, right, we'll go somewhere for a year, live abroad and just to see what happens. If by the end of the year we're still together, maybe we, maybe we get married and we can move back to Scotland and she can have a visa then. So I we moved to Munich. We, we first of all moved moved to this place. It's called Gauting, which is just like a wee village. It's so it's on the the train map of Munich. So it's basically in the outskirts. It's like a forty five minute train journey in. I so we moved there for like a a month and then we got an apartment in Munich and the apartment was right in the kind of Centre, the university. Have you ever been to Munich yourself? No, no. Oh, it's, it's, see, where, where all the Celtic fans were when we were playing Bayern a few years ago in the, the Marienplatz, the big main square that's got the Glockenspiel. My apartment was about a five-minute walk from there, so it was right in the heart of, heart of Munich. And uh, I was, was stayed there a year, and I thought, right, there's no point in learning German, I'm going back. And then there was another year, and another year, and I never went back. And then as I said, tried to come back, and then it just wasn't working out. And uh, so after about, after about three years or four years there, my relationship with her broke up and uh, I got a job at a university. Uh, I'm now in a place called Bamberg, which is in Bavaria still, but maybe about two hours away from Munich. Right. Uh, so I go down quite often. Like, like I was at the, the Bayern uh, versus Leverkusen match a few weeks ago, and I'm hoping... If it doesn't fall at the same time as Celtic Rangers, it's the same weekend. Uh, the uh, classic, the classic of the Dortmund Bayern matches in two weeks' time. Right. So hopefully, uh, three weeks' time. So ho- hoping to go to that. So I, that's that's why how I ended up here. And uh, it's funny how by just not making decisions, you can make a lot of pretty big decisions in your life. You know what I mean? Like you can you can be quite indecisive, and then and in then that becomes very decisive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just letting things flow. Mm-hmm. So I think I've let things flow for a long time in my life, and that's how I've ended up in Germany. 
funny thing is with that as well, see what you said about her being Australian. I've had um, a band, I think it's my next podcast, it's due out. It's an Australian teenage fan club tribute band. <laughs> and that's what I was asking there. I says, why teenage fan? What, what, why in Australia would you pick up teenage fan club? But one of the guys moved there here, moved from Australia to, to Glasgow and stayed in Glasgow right. for three years. And I'm like, why would you do that? Most people here would try <laughs> move out there to the nice weather. But he moved here. And that the only reason he went back to Australia was because his missus visa was running it. And she basically, one day, folk came into her work and frog marched her out and country. And that's how he ended up back in Australia. Otherwise, he would have been here and he might have ended up in Teenage Fan Club when they get rid of Jerry. That's madness, isn't it? Aye, it's just, you feel as if you've got a lot of control in your life, but sometimes you don't have much control at all. It just Life sometimes just happens to you like that. So, so what's life like there in Germany now? Obviously, with COVID and stuff like that. And what's what's it like? Let's see here. Obviously, we get the fuel crisis and stuff like that. Is that does that sort of affect over there as well? Aye, I mean the the fuel. See, the the problem with Germany is that they they get a lot of their gas from Russia. So they were actually they were actually building a pipeline from Russia to Germany, and that's get halted because uh, of this war. Uh, so I think last time I fueled up it was two euro fourteen, uh, and that's that's petrol. Uh, diesel was is even more expensive. So what's that about two two pound five pence or something like that per per liter? So uh, it's expensive. I'm supposed to have an electric car. I've, I've ordered one uh, last August, and it was a nine month waiting list. And then they told us it was going to be May. And then we get an email saying it's going to be June. And then we get an email saying it's going to be second half of the year. So it's just getting pushed back, pushed back. Because right. in Russia, it's, I think a lot of the nickel comes from Russia that they use in electric cars. So they're just pushing it further back. But I, no, here, here during the pandemic was just night and day to the UK. It was even now where you don't need, you don't need to wear face masks anymore. You, if you go into a shop, it'll be 80% of the people will have face masks on. In the pandemic, it was 100% of the people. I, I don't think I ever saw any German not wearing a face mask. Right. So they were very much following. Uh, Germans like to follow orders. We all know this. So they were just following orders and wearing their face masks. So I know it was... The thing about Germany is that they do take care of health and safety. There's a good social... Um, kind of like social welfare state. The welfare state's very, very uh, high here. If I lose my job... Or if I quit my job, I get 75% of my wage for a year. Right. So like 75% of my monthly income, I'll get that from the state for that for a whole year, try to find a job. I, when I retire, I'm getting like 75% of my wage as my retirement, as my pension. So there's a, there's a real kind of like, it's weird because Germany is obviously a, a country that's been burned from following government. Mm-hmm. But they're still very much people that follow rules. They, they will follow the things that are told to them. I mean, obviously there's fringe elements and there's some like demonstrations and stuff like that. But living here is very much a, a sense of people behaving themselves. Like, um, I, I will sometimes wind them up by, uh, if I'm standing at a, you could be standing at an empty road in Germany and it's a red man. There's no cars coming and you'll have four Germans standing waiting to cross. 
So <laughs> what I'll do is I'll just kind of look at them and then I'll just walk across the road and then they'll just look, they'll kind of look at each other and then they'll look back and like, and then they'll kind of sheepishly try and cross the road themselves. So uh, they're very much, the, the, the follow rules in the pandemic was, was something where people just said, okay, this is what we need to do, let's do it. And I mean, we, we spiked numbers-wise a few times, but I think most of the time it was very much smaller when it came to hospitalizations and deaths than the UK. I remember I went to London last August and I couldn't believe it. I was, there was no one who was wearing masks in the underground, no one was wearing masks in shops and stuff like that. So it was just, it was surreal coming from a place like Germany where you wear masks for everything. I went to my girlfriend's uh, parents live quite nearby and I was going over to their house the other day and I actually when I was going up to the door I, I felt my pockets because I was like my, my instinct was I better get my mask on because I was going into another building so that's how much it's ingrained in our heads over here like you just oh you need to put your mask on you're going into you're going inside yeah. uh, so I and in pandemic it's it's been weird but it's been cautious it's been conservative with a small c but it's probably saved a lot of lives. I mean, even going to that Bayern Munich game, Real Everkissen, that was what it had been three or four weeks ago now. And it was it was only at 25% capacity because they weren't allowed to have a full full crowd. Right. And that was only a few so they're still taking it seriously. They still think there's a pandemic going on over here. So, so they it still, have they still got like um partial lockdowns and stuff like that. No, I think it's very much a kind of just playing it by ear at the moment just to see what happens. The, the masks only stopped here on last Monday. So that's when it, that's when things started to open up with, when it came to masks. But uh, I'm not sure what the football stadiums are at this week, but I, they were still very much uh, having restrictions and stuff like that. But I, the, the universities and everything, they were off for four summits or two years. They were from home. And the, this coming semester is going to be the first time it's back to teaching and presence. So not looking forward to that one, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, obviously the, the, the country must be in better financial shape than us, like us in Britain, obviously, because if they're able to pay you that, if, you're, if you lose your job, stuff like mm-hmm. that. So they're able to kind of put me a financial support, whereas with us, we were like, back to work as quick as you can because Aye. the country's going to fall apart if people aren't working. So that's it. They're the difference right away in the way Germany's run, the way Britain's run. Aye. I think it's a combination of Germany does have a, a really good economy, but they also have politicians that are not going to get away with this, the nonsense that the Tories do, you know what I mean? Like, it, I think Britain could give more. To the, to the welfare state if it wasn't for the fact it was run by the people it's run by, you know what I mean? Like yeah. if it was a more kind of... The thing is, for Angela Merkel was basically the leader of their equivalent of the Tories, but right. compared to the Conservatives in the UK, she's basically a Labour, it's a left-wing party almost. Yeah. Uh, they've got a lot of kind of Christian value because it's a Christian Democratic party. So like there's like... <coughs> They bring in things like it's required that there's crucifix and in, in public buildings and stuff like that. So they're, they're conservative in that way, but socially it's it's much more to the left than than the, in the UK. And they, they care about welfare and they care about society. So it's 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 really something where it's nice to see. I remember when I went back to Scotland for one of the first times after moving here, and I went into Glasgow. I was I think I was. Up Union Street or something like that at night, 
and the people were spilling out of bars, steaming. And, and actually, for the first time ever, I felt cautious being in Glasgow. I felt like it had been almost as if I'd been in Germany so long that I got softened by it. Mm-hmm. And I was back in Glasgow and I was like, fucking hell, this is about to kick off or something like that. But it wasn't, it was just people falling out of bars. But I felt a wee bit scared of it for the first time ever, despite the fact that years before that would have been me falling at the bar, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I uh, know it's, it's weird. It's it's only a two-hour flight, but it, it's, in so many ways, it's a totally different planet you're living on. It's It doesn't it feel sounds, the same in a lot of it ways. It sounds like it was the best thing for you being, being there during all this than it would have been that side of the... Aye. Wow. The thing about the way I live as well, like I'm... I, I, I used to live in Bamberg, but then I bought a house. It's just about a ten-minute drive into the countryside, but it's like a tiny village. I mean, it's got a, it's got, it's got a brewery, it's got a church, it's got one shop, and that's it. And then it's just houses. So during the pandemic, I was going days and days without seeing anyone. Like I was, I've got a bit of land, so like I was growing fruit, fruit and veg and stuff like that. So we were just getting on with it without. We were both working from home. We'd go shopping once a week. So I've, I've still never had COVID. And I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that I was just not exposed so much during the first kind of uh, wave of it. I mean, I went to went went in a sash bash to Belgrade a, a couple of weekends ago. Last last August, I booked a weekend away from my, my girlfriend. I just I was just looking at other different places. Like, oh, we'll go to Belgrade. Belgrade sounds like a nice place to go. Booked it for the weekend, and then Rangers go through. <laughs> and Belgrade go through and I check the dates and I'm like, oh, no, it's not going to happen. There's, I mean, there's a one in 16 chance of happening and then they get joined against Belgrade and I'm like, oh, but still, it might be the away leg first or the home leg first. I looked and I was like, fuck me, man. Uh, what are the chances? But uh, other than other than on the flight, a few kind of uh, got a flight via Frankfurt, which is where we flew, flew from. Apart from that, never saw any of them. Never saw them at all. Uh, I heard that they were fighting with the police and stuff like that, but we, we never came across them. But I, the reason I was saying that is that in Belgrade, there were no rules. COVID had not happened in Belgrade, apparently. You could just walk about, no masks yeah. or anything. And in fact, it's still a country that uh, smokes indoors. So you'd be going into restaurants and eating your dinner and people are smoking next to you and stuff like that. So they just had no rules over there whatsoever. So after being there for a weekend, I'm, I can't believe I've still never had COVID because... If I was going to get it anywhere, I was going to get it there. <laughs> yeah, because that's where Djokovic is for, isn't it? Belgrade. Aye, big billboards and everything all over the place. Uh, they're, they're very proud of him, so aye. And uh, they're, they're crazy. The, the taxi driver was, and the, the way back to the airport, the taxi driver had a big, the, the length of his windscreen had a full crack down, like a full line crack down the windscreen, the taxi driver. Uh-huh. And he was he spent the taxi journey telling us the, the complete history of the, the the Balkan War, so talking about the Croats murdering their family, the Serbian family members, and I was like, "Fuck me, man! <laughs> I'm not taking any sides." <laughs> I like Juranovic. <laughs> so I know it was it was a good good time. Uh, it's it, but it's definitely a rough and ready city. Yeah, yeah I'm best suited for the, that lot then, isn't it? Uh, I um, <laughs> so how did um, how did you get into podcasting? How did all that come about? I think it's probably going to be similar to you in that I discovered podcasts. It must have been about twenty twelve, and I'd, back in the day there was 
there was a guy that I got the details of this are just going to be so sketchy for me. But I remember there was a late night host on Real Radio that would get people calling in, and I, I started to get really interested in that. But back in the day, it was just it was funny. But I never really experienced anything like that again. And then someone said to me something about podcasts, and I was like, I don't really know what that is. And I realised you can just get an app for your phone. So I just started, I became addicted, man. Like, if I got my phone just now, I think I've got 74 subscribed podcasts that I listen to. Basically, when I'm going about the house, I've got one earphone in, another one's just dangling down, and I'll be listening to a podcast. So my girlfriend will be talking to me, and I'll have someone talking to my other ear about something totally different because it's like maybe Gal speaking in a cynic or something like that. Yeah. So I just uh, became obsessed with him. And like, uh, and it's funny because I think you get so you get so close to the people that are doing it, even okay. if you've never met them. You you have experienced this yourself. You you'll become you'll start to feel like family members, and you'll think, I wonder what they think about this. And for me, the, the, I'm 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 quite into like uh, computer games. So the, the first one that I kind of really discovered was called The Giant Bombcast, and that's still going. That's one of the longest-running podcasts. And I remember when, within, like, the first five weeks of listening to it, one of the guys who was only in his 30s dropped dead. Jeez. And I remember, I, like, I remember just being, like, I was almost mourning, even though I'd only started to listen to it for in the last five weeks. So it's one of those things where you, you, you touch in on a weekly basis for these people. They, they always drop in things about their family. So you start to think, oh, that their, their son does this or their wife does this or whatever, and you start to kind of get to know them. And you feel as if you're having this conversation with them, even if you're not. So it just became something to me, I felt as if it was really, really strong. You felt as if you had a, you had a link to someone, a kind of a connection to people. When you watch films or you, you listen to music, you feel as if you've got a connection, but you don't really have that personable side to it. They're singing that song for everyone. When you listen to a podcast, you can email in, you can maybe, maybe answer it and stuff like that. And you don't feel as if, if it feels as if they're like a half between being your mate and being a celebrity, but they're not so out of date, or so out of touch that you couldn't get contact with them. Yeah. But they're not exactly your best mate. So it's that kind of weird grey area. So for me, a podcast just became like a, a way of life. It was just something that I, I wanted to do my own. I wanted to, I was desperate to get on a Celtic one. I didn't really know how to do it. I thought about starting my own, but then I, I don't have any Celtic fans here. And this was obviously before people started doing things over Zoom. Um, when I was in Munich, there was a, a small Celtic supporters club, but that was kind of before I started getting into podcasts. So I, it was um, something that I just, I, I think, I'll ask you, like, how, how did it, this come about for you? Because you've got another podcast based on a specific band, haven't you? Ah, uh, The View. So I've not done that. I've not done that for I started this. Um and I, I kind of see that now as kind of a test run for, for what I do now. But, I mean, I probably, maybe about five, six years ago, I got into a fun, a fun podcast. And the first one was the, the Oasis, the Oasis podcast. And the thing about, see, when you find a podcast as well, and you're like, it had like 50 episodes. It's brilliant when you get like 50 episodes and you're like, I, I can listen to all these. And now, the, the thing I hate is once you catch up and then you need to wait for Aye. them. Wait for a week. Um, <laughs> but I, so there was Oasis one and then I think for that, I got into a Beatles one. And um, then it just, it just 
bombs. Skyrocketed. Uh, Celtic podcasts. I mean, there's, there's like so many Celtic podcasts. Um, you, you can't listen to them all. But it's weird when Celtic wins because it's like every other club in the world seems to have like two or three big ones. If you look at Rangers, they've got like two or three big ones. Celtic have just got about 20,000 small ones, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, there's, you, can, you can't even move for Celtic podcasts, it's mental. So, uh, I think everyone, we all just want to have a say. Uh-huh. I mean, the, fir- the first one I listened to was the Homeboys. Oh, aye. And I listened to the Homeboys every week, without fail. And then, I think it was 20 minute terms. And then I think you were the next one, I fun after that. So, still listen to Homeboys every week, and I still listen to yourselves. Twenty minute terms is kind of took a bit of a dive because know that it's any, know that it's bad or in, but there's just you can't listen to it. Or you, there's, there's too much, too much content. content. Listen to it, and that's why kind of I could probably done a Celtic podcast, but I kind of thought there's there's too much so in there. But then one of my friends, one of my friends, I've had him on the podcast. He started one. He does it on YouTube. Um, Dale O'Reilly, if you check out that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going on that in a couple of weeks. Time. Oh, nice, nice. Um, so I so he started that and that seems to go be going from strength to strength. He does it on YouTube at Disney, it doesn't go at like Spotify or anything like that. Um, but I, I quite like just doing audio as well. I don't really I'm not too keen on the the videos are in like that. No, I don't. I don't watch the videos either, as I said, because it's always. I'm always in the move when I'm listening to a podcast. You know what I mean? I'm always yeah. doing the dishes or whatever. Like I'm not going to be sitting down to watch something. So, uh, but I, I, I was, I was on the same network as Homeboys. Did you ever listen to History of Boys Abroad? I've listened to some of that. I. Uh, that was me and me and uh, a mate, or it was actually me and someone that I met in the Huddle Woods. We started that. I am I'm, I'm on the first like, twenty episodes or something like that. Right. Um, so I we we were on the same network as Homeboys at that time. I guess the Cynic was on the same network as well. Uh, was it Hail Hail Media? I think it was called. That's right. Yeah. I uh, I we were all on that. So I think the the History of Boys Abroad just finished recently because I, I I went away from it because I was I was I was doing a bit of work at that time and also I was I really wanted to start talking about current Celtic as opposed to like talking about things that had already happened in the past. I was itching to talk about things that were happening now. So I, I just said to Tony that I'd maybe try and find someone else to, to fill in. So but I, we started that together, History Boys Abroad. Was that kind of like interviewing players and things like that? I, I can mind one where they done one on Liam Henderson, I'm sure. Maybe that. Mm, well, so. maybe you're mixing it up. I, I did an interview with Liam Henderson for the Cynic. Did you? I, I went to Verode because... Verona's only about five hours away from me, so I went into Verona and I interviewed them in person. That was for the Cynic. Right. Uh, but the History Boys Abroad was just taking like a very specific moment in time, Celtic and just talking about it, like the Coronation Cup was one of the episodes, or just taking a player like Paul Elliott was one of them, we, we spoke about Paul Elliott. And we interviewed uh, George Conley's son for an episode about George Conley. Right. Uh, so it's just, just wee things like that, it's just wee bits of Celtic history. But I, as I said, I just I was more interested in talking about what's happening now, especially when it was a garbage fire and things like that. So, and like, like under Lennon last season. So, how did that come about? Then, did did you approach Gal, or was it did he approach you? What was it? How did I that? think 
I think it was Christian. Christian used to be like a talent scout. I don't know uh, why, but he was the one. A lot of the people that are in the cynic that weren't part of Gal's original friend group were approached by Christian. So there'll be some people like Frankie, for example, she was approached by Christian as well. He would just be kind of like aware of people on Celtic Twitter and people writing about Celtic. So I was I was maybe writing about Celtic and he he asked me, because at, at the time, the cynic had a thing called The Cynical, which was like a monthly magazine that would come out and it would have like articles, basically. So the first thing I wrote was about Red Bull Leipzig or RB Leipzig. And basically just telling the story about why they were so hated over here for being like a plastic club. And uh, so that was the first thing I wrote. And then like Christian would just come back to me every now and again and say, do you have any other ideas? And so I would write something for them. And then I approached Christian with, uh, see, I was always a fan. Do you remember Clive James? Yeah, he's Australian, was he? Aye. So he would have a thing where he would basically be looking at like stupid news stories and then just making fun of them. Uh And uh, I just had this idea that I could just look at Scottish media and just rip the piss at it. Like just like look at what the things they were saying, just make a make 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 a mockery of it. And originally it was a so that was became Peak Football, which Christian named. I'm not the biggest fan of the name, uh, but he he named it Peak Football, and uh, it was an article. So every week it would come out as an article. So I would basically just copy and paste the quotes from the newspapers, and then just write like something funny or attempt to be funny. And then when the cynic went full time. I said, I said to Christian, look, I think we could do this as a podcast. And I said, do you know anyone that can read these out and like give some character to them? And that'd be John Murphy, who does the voices. So we got John on board and then I just started writing it out as a script. So I, I, I basically write Graham colon and then my line and I'll put John colon, just write it as a full script. It's usually about six or seven pages long. Um, and we, we do that as a, as a recording. And then after that, that's when I started to get onto actual podcasts, like the non-peak uh, football type podcasts. So maybe a gal would say, can you do a reaction? Can you do this? Can you do that? So I was very much one step at a time getting in there because obviously I've never, I've still never met anyone involved in the cynic. I've never met them face to face. I'm going to New York in August and I think I'll meet the first, Eddie Walsh will be the first cynic that I'll meet in person because we're going to go for a beer. Aye. So I mean that's been years now. I've still I've never met Frankie and Dave from Digressive Left either. So it's just a case of uh, it's all online friendships now. Uh, but I so that was I can see why Gal would be kind of hesitant to bring someone in because it was very much his friend group and like people at Alan and uh, Louis, the guys that he grew up with uh-huh. and he knows well. Uh, but I so I think it was just a case of doing that and then I took over the minute by minute on the Twitter account as well for the, the games. Uh, and then Gal just kind of started to see me as someone that he could use for, for other podcasts as well. So I've enjoyed it. I've, uh, one of the things I love is just having a having a voice about what's happening, just being able to say, like, I don't think this is good, I don't think this is bad, whatever. Being able to say last season, um, or even uh, it was actually during the, the, the nine in a row season, I, I started to kind of raise red flags about Neil Lennon, and, and I was starting to see things were maybe going not as well as they could be. Um, so just having having that voice, and I think you'll probably I'll, I'll ask you the question. Actually, do you do you feel as if you're get, this is kind of therapeutic for you having a voice when it comes to music, people listening to what you have to say about music? 
yeah, I think it's nice to just kind of to put it out there, put your opinion out there, and I think it kind of settles you. Because if you don't get your opinion out there, it's just kind of bouncing about in your head, isn't it? Mm. So it, it's nice to kind of put it out there and you bounce, especially with the Senate, because there's that many of you kind of bouncing ideas and opinions against one another and kind of, as, as a listener to something like that, it's it's great because you kind of, I find myself like that, well, I'm, I'm maybe not so much with Graham on that, I'm there with mm. Manny or whatever, but mm. it's, it's always nice to hear different views on stuff like that. Ah, uh, definitely, definitely. Unless it's Louise, no, no one needs to hear Louise because then. Yeah, but I, I mean, like, I'm a big fan of Lorenzo Pacitti the last couple of weeks. Um, oh, like he's been doing the agenda, hasn't he? He's been yeah, coming, that, coming in. So that confidence is amazing, and it's brilliant. I love. He's a good-looking boy. If you're a good-looking boy, you have lots of confidence. I, I believe so. <laughs> so I mean, like what you said about kind of. Gal had his kind of friend group and then he kind of got you was involved. You, you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't, as a listener, I just assumed these were all, all a group of friends. Um, I, I think I think that's the, the, the most important thing to do when you're doing something like this is just try and get across. Try, try and make it so that it sounds, sounds natural. Um, but Christian wasn't a friend of theirs until... He, he went into Seneca two or three years before me, so he was... He's actually met them in person, obviously, and he's recording in person. But I think it's just a case of having that kind of um, personality that you can just kind of bounce off each other. Um, like Gal said in a, in a recent podcast that he likes having me and Louie on at the same time because we're kind of like yin, yin and yang in a lot of things. Uh-huh. So I think he just likes to kind of like, I think he th- thinks of himself as someone that's got a keen eye to see, to, for relationships on podcasts and just getting personalities together that are going to bounce off each other. So... Aye, it's it's good good to good to hear that you you thought we were all the besties because I mean that means we're doing something right I suppose. So. Yeah, oh, well, it's definitely it's it's a brilliant podcast and there are all, all the shows that are on it are all really good. The features are brilliant. The reactions are really good. Your flagship shows are excellent. There's mm-hmm. I I couldn't fault any. I like the, I like the girls. All the girls on it are really good as well. Um, uh, no. It's, it's really good and probably yeah, the last couple of weeks the best episode was the one Gal done with Claire talking about what's going on with the cynic oh why okay. explaining that that would be if any of the listeners want to listen to it I'll, I'll post that up in the show notes because mm-hmm. that, that's a really it's it's nice to hear how, how a podcast works and how it's kind of going to develop keep behind the curtain yeah so what then? Obviously, see so we've got the Senate, and then how did the digressive left? Was that just like a wee splinter group for meeting these people? I well, I mean, so first of all, on one side, I used to have this podcast. No one, it was about we had about twenty listeners. It was called the Pedestrians uh-huh. Pod, Pedestrians, and we basically just spoke about movies. Movies, video games, TV shows. That was it. It was just anything we wanted. And it was like, it was, we would be all cancelled if, if the episodes were still in, online. Because uh, we were, we were all, it was, every episode was a cans pod. And every episode, it was like five or six liters down or something. And it was madness. Uh, so thankfully, they're not online anymore. But it was a lot, it was a lot of fun. It was just me and two mates, English guy that I met over here. 
and his uh, English mate who lives in Ireland. So the three of us done that. And then, so that stopped. And then we all, so everyone that was basically involved in the cynic at some point, that's not the kind of core group, uh-huh. or we're all in a group chat. So we would have like Callum Gordon in there, Matt Evans, Matt Ryan, Stephen Russell, Christian, everyone else was like Frankie, Dave, etc. There's a bit, there was a bit, there's about 30 people in there. And then some of the kind of the friend group as well, like Chris Bowd is in there, Keith McGinty's in there, etc. So at the time when the lockdown started, a video game came out called Animal Crossing. I don't know, maybe your kids have played it or something like that. No, but I just do you know how I just know it for listening to you on the podcast talking about that. Aye. So so basically the podcast started because of Animal Crossing because the three of us, me, Frankie, and Dave, got the game and lockdown had just happened, so no one was leaving, and it was a perfect game. Like you're on this wee island and you're like chopping down trees to get fruit and you're making friends, and it's just like it's just a wee silly game, but it's addictive. Mm-hmm. And so we started another group chat. Because we, we didn't want to talk about it in the main group. So we started another group chat with the three of us and just started talking about the game, what we are doing, blah, blah, blah. And then that wee group started to become like a, like a wee counselling group for for all three of us because we, we were in, in the pandemic. And obviously, I think you probably know about Frankie's health problems. Uh, yeah. She's basically, she's been shielding for two years now. Um, so she was, the pandemic, it, it hit her really, really hard. Like she was in a bad way and she couldn't leave the house she, she couldn't get the vaccine because the vaccine would react she still hasn't been able to get the vaccine because it would react to her kind of underlying medical problems and she wasn't be, she wasn't able to go shopping she wasn't able to go anywhere recently and she was in a mentally she was in a really bad way so I just thought to myself instead of just having a weekly thing where you say let's try and get together and have like a zoom call and kind of pep each, pep each other up. I thought if we start a podcast, it means it becomes like an appointment thing. You do it and you don't just say, oh, fuck, I can't be bothered this week. And if you listen to it, everyone just has a lot of fun. We don't, we're not there to, I mean, it's the most successful podcast I've ever been on. And it's not the cynic because it's more successful than pedestrians. <laughs> uh, we, we've, our viewer, our listenership is in the hundreds instead of in the tens. But it's one one of the things we say about it is we're doing this just for ourselves. People are putting it out there for people to listen to, but it is just about us having a scheduled time to get together, hang out, and talk about shit. And the amount of times it just dissolves into someone pissing themselves laughing for there was one episode where I had to cut because I'd said something, I'd compared someone's name to the shop, to a shop to a shop. Yeah, I said it sounded like that. And the, the person I was talking to wasn't white. So it just looked as if I was maybe like bullying. It was like a it was a musician or an actor or something like that. And it looked as if I'd maybe was being a bit problematic. So we, we cut it out. But for me saying that, Frankie lost her shit for 20 solid minutes. She couldn't speak. She was just like wheezing for 20 minutes. We've got, we all, I've actually still got the recording that I cut out of that 20 minute section, but she just couldn't get her shit together. So that's what it is. It's just, it's just us getting together to, to not be depressed about the pandemic. That's all, that's all it was. Um, and now we, we do it. When it. We don't even have a schedule anymore. It's just a case of somebody will put in the chat, let's get a podcast going. And it's because that person maybe wants to speak. You know what I mean? It's it's because they don't they don't just want to say to them, they want to hang out. So they'll just say, let's get a podcast going. And we'll say, okay, what we're we going to talk about this week. 
and we go from That's there. That's amazing, isn't it, to think that you have never met and yet you are different places in the world and you are supporting one another through a pandemic and things like that. It's, it's amazing to uh, see how that's came about. Uh, I think the pandemic must, must have created a lot of new communities that you wouldn't have got before. It, would have, it must have created, done that for lots and lots of people. And the thing is, one of the funny things is, I'm going through, we're, we're getting married uh, this year, and I'm going through, we're going through the kind of invitation list. And the people that I'm inviting to the wedding, I've spoken to less than the people in the cynic and the people in the aggressive left. I know them better than the people I'm inviting to my wedding, but it would be weird for me to invite these people to my wedding because I've never met never met them. <laughs> so, so I'm kind of like, I wish I could invite Frankie and Dave, but I've never met them before, so it'd be a bit weird. <laughs> so, aye, it's bizarre. So, like, I only heard of the digressive left through, through the cynic, and it wasn't even... Advertised or in. I mean, somebody must, somebody said it, somebody mentioned it, and then it was mentioned again a few weeks ago. And I was like, oh, what's, what's this? <laughs> I, I, I think I just I went back and listened to an episode and wrote it in. That's how I fun the podcast. I thought, oh, nice, nice. Left. And uh, then there was all these episodes. So again, it was kind of like that Oasis podcast. I had all these episodes. <laughs> that um, Maybe about fifteen episodes in or something, but I I, I really like it because it's a as it it's a bit different and it's just kind of talking about recommendations and stuff like that, which is really good. Uh, and it, what people are watching and stuff like that. So it's light. Yeah. So on that kind of basis, and like, you, what sort of recommendations and stuff do you got that you've been doing recently? Well, I'll, I'll give, I don't know if you've got to this episode of the pod yet, but uh, I went through a, a phase of uh, watching the same film over and over again, like nightly. <laughs> I became obsessed with it. Have you got to that bit of the podcast yet? No, I don't. I don't uh, no. So I became obsessed with the film Apocalypse Now. Have you seen Apocalypse Now? I haven't. I know it's a so, bit. I've not. I saw it, I saw it years and years ago, and I didn't like it because it was it was called it was a redux at the time, and it was almost I think it was about four hours long or three and a half hours long, and I really didn't like it. And then the, the final cut just came out. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola had made a final cut of it, and like it, the final cut is longer than the original, but it's, it's uh, less time than the redux, so it's, it sits at three hours. And I thought, right, I'm going to give this uh, give this a go. And I was just, my mind was blown by it, man. I was just, this is the best film I've ever seen. So I started, basically, if I was having a whiskey at night, I'd be like, put Apocalypse Now on, now on have a whiskey, and, and just spend the next three hours watching this film. And I must have watched it maybe 20 to 40 times now, I would say, over the last couple of years. It is my highest recommendation for anyone that likes films. It's The thing about Apocalypse Now is that it's, it's authentic because all the shit that they're doing in it, they actually did in Vietnam and Cambodia. They, they were blown up trees. There, there were uh, cows getting executed by getting their heads chopped off. Everything you see in the film actually happened because they were just going mental. They had the biggest budget ever. They were spending, I think they, had, they created like a million metres of uh, film from it because they, they filmed so much. And they, they, I think it was supposed to be like a three-month shoot. And they were there for over a year in the jungle, like just they'd gone basically native without making this film. So I, I just love it. I love everything about it. It's 
it's it's just so iconic. So that would be my big film recommendation. So Apocalypse Now. Have you seen The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? No. This is on Amazon. Right. Amazon Prime. And it's about it's about a female stand-up comic in the 60s in New York. And it comes so the first episode, she she's trying to support her her husband who wants to be a stand-up comic, but he's appalling, he's terrible. And she finds out he's been cheating on her and she leaves him. So she she kind of goes mental and drives down to this comedy club where he was supposed to be performing but didn't. And she goes on stage and just does like this off-the-cuff improvised set where at the end of it she, 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 she rips her dress down and flashes her tits at the audience and gets arrested for it. So it, it kicks off from there and it's just it's hilarious, man. It's so, so funny. If, you're, if you like that kind of like... New York Jewish comedy, like that Woody Allen kind of comedy. It's just perfect for that. Uh, Lenny Bruce is actually in it as a character. So she meets Lenny Bruce and um, uh, she does comedy with him. So it's I think it's on its fourth season now on Amazon. Uh, and there's only one more season to go. Uh, right. So that's a big, big rec- recommendation. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And the last one that I'll recommend is uh, the latest album I bought. It just just came out. Craftwerk uh, uh, remixes. I don't know if, if you're into Craftwerk. We bats yeah, we bats and bobs yeah. So they just released. It's like it's a triple. It's a, I've, I got the vinyl. It's a triple uh, vinyl album, and it's remixes of the kind of songs down the down the years, um, and it's absolutely fantastic. So if you've if you even if you've not if you're not any interest in Craftwerk, uh, if you have any interest in elect, electro music, then uh-huh. definitely recommend that. It's really really solid, man. So uh, that's that's my recommendations for my digressive left sponsors section of the podcast. There we go. You'll know the day one. You'll know the day RDL this one. I <laughs> uh, just show people this one. <laughs> uh, so um, just before we go, obviously, time for heroes. I ask you to pick four heroes to come for dinner and what you would cook them and why you would invite them. So just to have anywhere to go, we just fire away. Okay, so this was, I, I probably took this a lot more seriously than a lot of people have because I was I was going through the list for ages. I was like, well, who should I pick? And I wanted to make sure there was no one, like Bob Dylan would obviously be my, my number one hero, but I just don't think you would get anything from him. I don't think he would remember anything. I don't think he would open up about anything. So I'm not going to pick Bob Dylan. I, I think he would just sit there and be silent for most of the meal. So he's, he's not getting invited. Morissette, problematic, not inviting him. Woody Allen, my, big, my biggest hero when it comes to film. Problematic, can't invite him either. So I'm not going to go for any of those. First one that I've picked is uh, David Lynch. I don't know, do you know any, do you, are you a fan of any of his films or TV shows or anything? No. 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 So he, he, I mean, that's just how I, 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 I'm kind of slightly to touch with the digressive left because I look at the stuff and I'm like, what's that? And then I need to go and Google it. Or... <laughs> well, David Lynch is actually from a bit further back. He he made Blue Velvet. He made uh, um, Twin Peaks. Don't know right. if you've ever seen Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah. So t- Twin Peaks was a, a show in the eighties. So recently, so when I was a kid, and this is this is uh, my generation. So I'm I'm technically a millennial, but I call myself a Generation X because we were the generation where your parents would just go off and leave you to fend for yourself. Is that right? Do we call we're called yeah. latchkey kids, where you come in from school by yourself and stuff like that. Yeah. Walk home. Yeah. So I remember watching 
I was, I was, I was maybe six or eight years old, and my mum was watching TV, and it was Twin Peaks. And if you watch Twin Peaks now, that is not something you should be watching with a six or eight year old. Yeah. Uh, and I always remember watching like RoboCop when I was a child, and the guy's faces melting off with acid and stuff like that. So nowadays I saw Mo- Moana and stuff, uh, things, uh, films like that. But back in the day, we watched anything: Predator, Terminator, whatever it was. We were watching it as a kid. Yeah, that's the thing. That seemed to scare you back then. No, no. And I rem- I, I've still got it in my head that I was. Re- I remember sitting up watching this thing where this white horse was walking through a living room and this woman was going off on that and it was Twin Peaks. So I decided during the pandemic I was going to get the, the Twin Peaks box set had come out. So it's got the, the first two seasons that's got the... Uh, the film prequel and it's got the new season that was uh, made in 2017 uh-huh. and David Lynch is just is kind of like a surrealist uh, filmmaker TV showmaker it's about this girl that turns up dead basically uh, and wrapped in plastic in the middle of the, the, the side of the lake and it's about basically trying to find out who did it and his stuff is just so unusual it's out there it's uh, he's, he actually makes music as well and he's, he's heavily influenced by music. In the, in the 2017 season, it's got 18 episodes, and every single episode ends with them going to uh, the, the the kind of town nightclub, and a real life band is playing the song where the credits go. And that's actually how I recently discovered Nine Inch Nails. I'd never known anything about Nine Inch Nails before. But one of the episodes ends with Nine Inch, Nine Inch Nails performing a song, and. Uh, Loads of acts. Uh, what's the lead singer? Uh, Eddie Vedder does uh, one of the songs at the end of one of the episodes as well. So right. he's got a real love of music, and it kind of you get that music through his films as well. So I think he'd be a real interesting guy to talk about. He's he's in his meditation and was it transcendental meditation and all this stuff. So I think he'd be a bit out there, a bit of a hippie. Right. So I think he would make a good kind of conversationalist. Next one, kind of in a similar vibe, would be Allen Ginsberg. So. Allen Ginsberg is a. He was a famous poet. He wrote the word. He wrote the poem "Hell," uh, and he was kind of famous in the beat generation and uh, the hippie generation in in America. And I'm mostly picking him because of his associations. So he, he knew Bob Dylan, he knew yeah. Timothy Leary, he knew uh, John Steinbeck, he knew uh, basically everyone that, from around that kind of 1950s, 60s. Americana, and I think he would just be full of amazing stories. He made music himself, and he would just be someone like he was. He was always an acid. Uh, he was gay before it was even allowed to be gay, and I think he would be someone that have amazing stories, like telling you the kind of. He, he would tell you the stories of, about Bob Dylan that Bob Dylan's probably forgotten. You know what I mean? That's that's I think it'd be good to have yeah. someone like that. Yeah, so at the that's, table. Aye, that's better than Dylan then. You're getting, you're getting, you're getting the true stories. I mean, many times when you see Bob Dylan getting interviewed like that, uh, Martin Scorsese documentary and stuff like that, he's just not got a clue. Like he, he's, he's, he's with it, but he doesn't regard the stuff. He doesn't think the stuff is important that you think is important, so he doesn't really remember it that well. Like, yeah. like if it comes to a story about how he wrote uh, "It's All Over Now, Baby Blue," that's not important to him. That just happened. But to you, you'd be like, I really want to know. Like, when you watched it, did you watch Get Back? Yeah. How well, good was Get Back? Yeah, it was amazing to see them writing songs like that. Because I was always, I'm always been 
Lennon. I've always been a Lennon fan. Uh-huh. I really like McCartney. But then McCartney comes out it really well. See when you see like kind of he was there was points where he was the only one that seemed to care. Ah, uh, he was keep, keeping just, it going. Aye. And it's it's amazing to see stuff like that. It's, aye. I can't believe that, that footage has been sitting there that length of time and, and it's right. See, you, you would actually I bet if John Lennon was still alive, he would probably say, Why would anyone care about this? Yeah, but for us, that's the shit we want. You know what I mean? That's I would love to see if I could get that for Blood in the Tracks, or if I get could get that for like a uh, I don't know a blues album that I like, Muddy, Muddy Waters or Howling Wolf. If I, could, if I could see that process, it would be amazing, and I, I would love that for for all my favorite albums. But I, I so I feel as if you need sometimes you need the kind of person beside the person that you like the most just to hear the best stuff about them. Uh, yeah. Next one is uh, David Byrne, so from Talking Heads. Uh-huh. Uh, I got into the Talking Heads really, really late. It was actually not even that long, maybe six, six or seven years ago. Uh, have you, there's a film with Sean Penn called This Must Be The Place. Mm-hmm. And I'd always known the Talking Heads as the ones who had written Road to Nowhere and uh, what's that? what's the name of the song? Same as it ever was. Um, is that no? Is that no? No, it's a it's a different song. But it's the one that was always in VH1 with the, the video of him standing at the camera. I can't remember the name of the song just now. Uh, so I'd I'd known those two songs, and I'd known that they'd written "Burning Down the House" because was it the uh, Tom Jones covered that, didn't he? So I'd known that that was a Talking Head song, but I knew nothing else about them. And that this film, this must be the place. It actually cuts from Sean Penn's characters. He's made up to look like uh, Robert Smith from The Cure. He's got that kind of look about him. He's he's supposed to be like an ex-musician or something. And then it cuts from that to a nightclub where you've got David Byrne and musicians and uh, backing singers. And they play like a strings version. So instead of having the kind of like uh, electric version of This Must Be The Place, everything's done in cello and uh, violin. And it was the first time I'd heard the song. And I was just blown away by it, man. It was like, I thought that was such a tremendous song. So I looked up to see what album it was on and got that album. It's the same album as Burning Down the House. And it's just banger after banger. Like every single song is is amazing. It's tremendous. And then I, I got, I don't know if you've ever seen the live album, uh, Talk, Stop Making Sense. It's a, a live concert from Los Angeles, I think it is. When did that come out a bit? I would have been the height of the maybe 80s, early 80s or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and it's I, it's one of those ones when you're, if you're sitting at night and you're having a drink or something, that's one of the things you just put on because it's just two hours of the music's amazing, the performance is amazing. He's just so such a charismatic front man. He does such silly things on stage as well. Like he, at one point during a song, you're like, he slackens the microphone and puts it all the way down and then leans over and starts circling around the microphone as he's still singing the song. So he's just got this kind of like, he's almost like David Lynch and he's got this kind of unusual thing about him. So I think he would be someone, there's a story about him where I can't remember who he was who, who he's with, but the two of them were walking through Central Park and they get jumped. And the guy that was telling the story just remembers looking over and seeing David Byrne getting dragged into a hedge and as he was getting dragged into the hedge, he just said, oh, oh. 
So he's just got this kind of weirdness that I think would just be funny at like a dinner party. I mean, why why would you have a reaction to be getting dragged in the hedge when well getting mugged would be oh, oh. <laughs> so I I think David Byrne would be class. And the last one I was I I'd picked Tom Waits originally and uh, and then I was going to go for Mac Miller uh, as well because I, I really like Mac Miller. But I realise I've got a bit of a sausage fest here, so I decided to go for a woman. And I've gone for Eve Babbitts. So Eve Babbitts, I don't know if you'll know much about her. She's, again, she's someone that was kind of adjacent to, to heroes, but she was also a bit of a hero in her own right. She created album covers for the Buds and for Buffalo Springfield. She wrote a, uh, she wrote a novel about Los Angeles. I can't slow something... Fast Company. I can't remember the, the, the first the second word is. But she was basically an it girl in Los Angeles in the 60s. So she was the one that was at every party. She was the one that was sleeping with Jim Morrison. She was the one that was in the studios when albums were getting made. And she's still alive. Um, and she's got her own like career as well. So she's got her own like abilities and her own art and her own like, writing and stuff like that. And I think, again, she would just be someone that would be interesting in, in her own right, but she would just be an absolute well of stories when it came to such a monumental time in Los Angeles in the 60s and 70s when things were just hitting, shit was hitting the fan and getting into like, the LA riots and stuff like that. I think she would just be someone that would be really, really interesting, especially from a music point of view as well. I'm trying to think, have you seen the documentary Echo in the Canyon? Have you seen that? No, I have not, no. Um, it's, it's, it's in a place, Laurel Canyon and California, and it's mm-hmm. basically where all the all they sort of folk stayed to the Bards, Beach Boys and all that. Neil Young, I think, was there as well. And um, with that, it's following Bob Dylan's boy, Jacob Dylan. Right. Uh, he, made, he made an album. He, already, he recorded all these songs again, and he done it with Beck and some other kind of... I'm trying to think who else he recorded, maybe like kind of current stars. Mm-hmm. But the documentaries are about that. It's, it's she's probably in that. It's like get the mamas and the and the birds and all that. And it's talking about how all the all the music of that time was made in this place. I'm fascinated um, by that man, like California in the sixties. It's really really good. E- Echo in the Valley. Echo in the Canyon. Echo in the Canyon. There we go. I'll write that down so you can remember. And I only I only watched it a couple of months ago. It was my pal told me to watch it, and uh, whenever he tells me to watch it, I'm pretty sceptical. But uh, I was it was a good hour and a half viewing. Uh, it was really good because that, that one of the Beach Boys was he was like mates with Charles Manson at that time as well. Uh-huh. Because Charles Manson was trying to become a pop star, he was writing songs and. I think yeah. uh, one of the Beach Boys actually played, played one of his songs and stuff. Yeah, so. it was Dennis, wasn't it? Dennis Wilson, I think it was. Aye, aye. It's, it's a fascinating time, that, that, that era, man. Uh, it's one of the places you'd love to just travel, like time travel back and just have a look around and see what was happening. Yeah, oh, it would be mm-hmm. wild. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think who else was in that. Jacob Dylan, so you'd maybe like it just for that alone. Because he, he's a lead singer of the Wallflowers, isn't it? Jacob Dylan? I think yeah. He's, um, he's, he's, I think there's a live album as well, which you, you'll find on Spotify or something. Uh, I think what it was was like a, 
I don't know, it was it must have been like an anniversary concert or something. And there was him, Beck, and two or three female ones. I can't remember. I should remember. But I, it's, it's good, man. You would like it. If, no, I'm definitely going to check that out. I might watch that tonight, actually. Um, I so, so what are you going to cook, Corrie? Are you a good cook? This was a part, man. Like, I, I, I didn't live my, I didn't live alone until I was in my 30s. So I'm not a good cook. I've got one or two signature dishes. When I was living myself, my 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 meal was like seven fish fingers and oven chips. That's what I was, I was eating that in Germany. I was the only person in Germany eating fish fingers, I think. Uh, but I have I have one that I call sausage surprise. There's no surprise to it, but I call it sausage surprise anyway. It's uh, so a bed of pasta, two big sausages on top of the pasta. And then HP sauce on top of that. So I'm serving that to every single person at the dinner. Sauce is surprise. And the surprise is HP sauce. <laughs> Traditional German sausages, so will they? So that, Aye, the big the big long ones. So the two, yeah. two bratwurst. And it's actually it's to, to add a wee bit of uh, kind of a fanciness to it. It's not just the normal HP sauce, it's a spicy barbecue HP sauce as well. So it makes it a wee bit wee bit special. <laughs> So I don't know if that would go down well with David Lynch and David Byrne. <laughs> that might be the, don't take offence to that, but it might be the worst, the worst meal we've had so far on the podcast. Don't knock it until you try it, man. Don't knock yeah, it. A couple, a couple of photos just averted to phoning in pizzas, but... Um. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been too easy. I have, have yeah. to make an effort. I would, be, I would eat it anyway. I, 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 when I live myself in my 20s... Um, Five days a week, I would eat pasta with with butter through it, and maybe if I was spicing it up, I'd put some pepper on the top of it. There you go. But like I had, I could um, go. I could spend like eighty percent of my wages at the weekend and still have enough to live the rest of the week just on the pasta and butter. That was <laughs> I was quite happy with that. At one point, I did a. I was doing a fasting diet, so basically, every second day I would just have six hundred calories. Mm-hmm. Um, so every second day, I was eating a tin of uh, Heinz tomato soup because that's the only the only Heinz soup you can get here is tomato. So I'd have a, a tin of Heinz tomato soup and a packet of like instant noodles. That would be my dinner the whole day. So I'd fast up until seven pm, have that for dinner, and then that was me for the rest of the day. It was absolutely murder. Good way to lose weight, but good way to lose the will to live as well. Yeah, you must have been right crab it as well. You must have been crab it as well. Oh, I, I used to actually go for a sleep so I could get to seven o'clock faster. Like I would have yeah. a nap so I could get to seven o'clock faster. That was murder. Well, that's us, man. That's us at the end of the podcast. And it's, you've been a fantastic guest. Good choices or different choices. I don't think we've had any of the heroes so far. That's what I've been noticing that. Um, the last few guests have all been picking different people, so Aye. it's good to hear different different heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, I'll put all your your links to the cynic and digressive left and the the show notes. Perfect. Um, and every day, all my listeners, if you check it out, if you're in that persu- persuasion, I'm sure there's a few listeners might know where to check it out, but. <laughs> um, did you hear I that? Yeah. Did you hear uh, that? What, <laughs> <laughs> what kind of dog you got? 
He's a Labrador. I don't know Oh, there you go. <laughs> nice. Can I just say before I go, this is this has been a pleasure, and I, I, this is a really good concept for a podcast as well. So wish you all the the best of luck with it because uh, you'll need to get Frankie and Dave on at some point as well. Have their have their say. <laughs> yeah, well, I have been thinking about a few sentences as well. So usually what I do when I'm getting my guests on is like I stalk them and then think, like, I've got them and now I can use them to get other guests. So, oh, hi, hi. Yeah. Paul, Paul Carlin, he's he's big into music as well and Stu Duggan as well. So uh-huh. maybe we'll get Lorenzo. He's a big uh, audiophile with his record collection, so he might want to come on. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely be looking for a few. Hi, so thanks for coming on. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Time for Heroes podcast. If you would like to get in touch, the best way is on the Facebook page, Time for Heroes podcast, or on Instagram at Time for Heroes podcast, or Twitter at Time for Heroes P1, or drop me an email at Time for Heroes pod at gmail.com You'll find Time for Heroes on all podcast platforms including Spotify, Apple, Google and Amazon. Please leave a review where you can, share with others and more importantly, enjoy. Enjoy.